just today, let's just, you know, look forward to one thing or do one little baby step. And so that's kind of how I slowly, I don't know, instill, I guess, like yeah. building a new life and deciding who I am. I mean, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Just reestablishing my whole identity. It's fine. It's no big deal. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband in Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex love, marriage, ex marriage, divorce, ex divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself and then others like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. This week on the podcast, we have the amazing Lisa Valentine Clark. I cannot wait for you guys to hear her story. She is going to introduce herself and tell you all about who she is and what she does and why she's here today with us. I am so excited for you guys to be inspired by her and for you to learn that sometimes it is okay to laugh when really you just want to cry. You guys, today we have the most amazing guest. I am so excited to have Lisa from The Lisa Show with us. And one of the things I absolutely love about Lisa, I love many things about her, but (laughs) but one of them is that Lisa is so funny. And I, as you know, am not funny. I'm not, I am, I'm not witty. I'm not witty. I always have to change how I say that. But you're fun. I'm fun. You're fun. I'm definitely fun. (laughs) So it all works. And I greatly appreciate people who have that wit. And if you do not know who Lisa is, she is going to give you a little bit of information about who she is. And we are so excited to have her here to share her story with us today. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm Lisa Valentine Clark. And I've been doing improv comedy. I, I I mean, I feel like at my core, that's like my love, my passion, and I've been doing it forever. From the Garen's Comedy to Troop to the Thrillionaire's Long Form Comedy. I sometimes perform with the Johnson Files, um, do movies and commercials and TV shows that will just let me do. <laughs> do my thing. And yeah, and I'm the host of The Lisa Show on BYU Radio. And and uh, it's a podcast where we just like bring people together, have a laugh and hopefully make a like a real connection. So I'm kind of all over the place. I like to describe myself as a hustler. <laughs> you know, I, I just got to hustle. Want to do that uh, chapbooks commercial? You bet. I'll do it. Yeah. Do you want to produce a movie? Sure. Never done it. I'll do it. You know, like, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I feel like we talk about getting out of hustle culture or whatever, but some of us are just made to be hustlers. Yeah. I just can't sit still for very long. And if I do, I just get real sad. I am with you 100%. <laughs> and that's not like the bad way of no. staying busy. It's yeah. like there's a healthy way of doing that as well. That's just innate in some of us. Yeah. I don't I don't like the um, busy culture of like that is equals your self-worth or that kind of stuff. Yes. I just want to make funny stuff with my friends. How about that? And, <laughs> and with my kids. Like, that's my motivation for everything I do. <laughs> that brings me so much joy. And you are bringing so much joy to so many people while going through some very challenging things. And I've listened to your podcast for a long time. And it's funny when I'm sitting down to do this interview, I'm like, I know about her. Aww. But I haven't heard like her story in depth. 
And then I listened to your story and I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I heard her on some other podcast or something. <laughs> I just didn't put together that it was you. Oh, okay, <laughs> so cool. Funny. That is really funny. I've done this before, I'm like, too. Well, I probably talked about it. <laughs> oh, you have. You have. Um, but today, for our listeners, will you please tell us a little bit about your personal story and how you've kind of come to, I mean, you bring joy into your life while going through hard things. And so I would love for you to share some of that with us. Oh, that's so nice. I think that you are probably referring to my journey with my late husband. Um, So, you know, I um, like, yeah, where do we start, right, with this? I mean, even sometimes I'm like, I don't even know where it starts. In the beginning, yeah, (laughs) as a young, precocious child in Lincoln, Nebraska, no, I um, met my husband in college doing an English society play, which, like, not even in the theater department. Like, this was like a bunch of English majors, like, we can act. We love literature. <laughs> the mysteries creation story. So we were doing short scenes from the Bible. A real knee slapper, let me tell you. Oh <laughs> I don't know why I thought this was a good idea, but at the time, I, it was art. I auditioned. I got the coveted role as the... Um, uh, uh, chicken on Noah's Ark. And maybe some of you don't remember that from the scriptures, but there is no chicken. Anyway, it was a nice <laughs> part, I think, handcrafted for me. My husband had just gotten home from his LDS mission in Finland, and he was actually there on an acting scholarship, and he got Satan the best role ever. That is the best. And after being friends for about 10 months, then um, the chicken and Satan fell in love, as they often do, (laughs) and dated for a little while and then got married and then had five children and had a wonderful, fun, bizarre, weird, fun, funny, great life together for 25 years. The tragedy in our story, and every story has to have, you know, drama and tragedy, is that very unexpectedly in 2016, a perfectly healthy, never had any like major problems, Christopher Clark was diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And the average life expectancy is two to five years. There's no treatment. There's no cure. It's like the worst case scenario. I mean, it really is. Mm-hmm. It took us, he had a, it all started, he had like a little slight drag in his leg. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And he's like, it's the weirdest thing. Like I was going to cross the street and I like told my legs to go. And then like, it just took a half a second to do it. And that never happens. And I was like, weird, maybe you should drink more water. You know, like <laughs> I just brushed it off like any, you know, overworked, yeah. busy mom of five kids at home. You know, mm-hmm. at that time they were eight to almost 18. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And and it got worse, you know, and he obviously started walking weird and walking with a cane. And we did lots of tests and thought it was maybe like a back problem. And the MRI was clean. And I just tell you, like, we had three or four months of just excruciatingly like, wait, this is serious. And everyone, it looks very concerned and no one will tell us what this is. And when we finally got the diagnosis in March of 2016, I mean, everything changed. Everything changed. So, you know, our busy lifestyles at that time. Christopher was, um, you know, had tenure at a at a university. We'd gotten a master's degree for him in uh, staging Shakespeare in England and lived in England for a while. He'd gotten his Ph.D. in education and leadership. And like we had done some stuff, you know what I mean, and had mm-hmm. a busy life. We had five kids and 
I was hosting shows and and acting and our kids were in a million things and we're just like busy, busy, busy and everything stopped to focus on on that. And when I say everything stopped, it's like it didn't, though. You know, like he was just like, well, I mean, the shock of it after we got over the initial shock and went to some really good therapy, he was really at peace and was like, there's nothing I did to deserve this or this is just part of my path. This has to be my path. And our objective then was just to have as many like regular fun days. And so he progressed. Um, and fast forward four and a half years later, he passed away two days after our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, those two days before he planned an elaborate surprise for our anniversary, he had all of our like theater friends like dress up the backyard so it looked like a big fancy restaurant he had a catered and had our good friend ryan and us come and like um sing and he had a silver bracelet because it's the 25th like i just looked at him and he's like he, at this time couldn't move couldn't speak on his own was in excruciating pain and um did that and that speaks to who he is he just wanted to get up and do stuff until the very end. And I, you know, could talk for hours and hours about what an incredible man he is and and what that the specifics of that journey were. But I think in relation to your question of like, you know, what's your story? It was following his lead in this is the worst thing, but I'm so much more than ALS than this terminal disease. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a theater director. I'm a writer. I'm a professor. I'm a religious person. I love movies. I love reading. And he would just focus on having something to look forward to and living as normally as possible. And a lot of making fun of himself, his ALS voice, you know, I mean, all the things. And we laughed every day. And I look back at that. And if I can be really, really honest, which I think I can. You can. I feel like this yes. is a safe place. <laughs> it was really hard. It was difficult mm-hmm. to to care for a grown man who couldn't scratch his nose, like needed help for every little thing. But he made it so fun and so like meaningful that it wasn't hard. It was just exhausting, but it wasn't hard. Does that make sense? Yes. And after he passed, that's when life got really hard for me mm-hmm. personally, because life was so much easier, better, more enjoyable, funnier, everything when he was here. Mm -hmm. So that's where I am. And now, you know, into it's been almost two years since his passing of like recalibrating Mm -hmm. my life and my identity and what that means. And with my kids who are now at such different developmental states, you know, when he was diagnosed, my kids were eight to 18. That's quite a span. And that was, you know, six years ago. And so a lot has happened in my kid's life, too. So still hustling, still like trying to make sense of it. But now I see everything so differently. Yeah. And I think of that, you know, the the joy that he brought into your life while going through something hard. I always think to myself, I had these moments of like just going through what I went through and people are like, how are you still laughing? How are you still? I'm like, well. What else can I do? Like, there's plenty of tears involved here, but I also want to laugh because yes. I need to know I'm still here. Yep. And going through those hard things. So I love that 
you guys latched onto that. And while you're, I relate, even though I've not been through the same thing you have been through, of those feelings of it's hard, but there's still joy. There is. I think we have a hard time realizing that those things can coexist. And holding them. There's mm-hmm. this, I think, false sense of if I don't treat this seriously, I mean, this is a terminal disease. He is dying. If I don't treat this like with this kind of reverence and if I laugh about it, then it's making light that somehow it is an insult or it is taking it as something very seriously lightly. And there's that little itch and feel about that. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. The great thing about Chris is that he was uncomplicated about that. He was always like, I don't know. I'm not like as he would always say, I'm not very deep or I don't have, uh, you know, his art and what he created would prove otherwise, obviously. (laughs) But he would just like, I'm just not complicated. I just want to laugh. Like and he would, you know, when he was telling his his family that he had ALS, you know, he was making jokes and, you know, about how, well, my doctor said that I can't run anymore and it's great because I hate running. Like, and they were like looking and I'm like, what are you doing? But what he was doing is setting the tone. Yes. He was setting the tone because everybody would see him and see him and they slowly saw him deteriorate, mm-hmm. which if you look back at the pictures and you see it, it was quite, I mean, it's very dramatic. And from being super healthy, top of your physical game to very like withered, yeah. And with a feeding tube and a breathing tube and an, an elaborate, expensive equipment keeping you alive and a speech machine. I mean, it's the whole Stephen Hawking setup. You know what I mean? And so, of course, there's lots of jokes about that, like, you know, like that only really intelligent people get ALS. And like he would just be like making jokes when his voice started going, you know, and it had this it. There's this thing that's called ALS in my mind. <laughs> I call it ALS voice. I hear it. I just start crying because I miss it so much. Mm. But he thought it was so funny because he's like, I sound like Frankenstein. So what did he do? He told his cousin they made a like a, a viral video, like a TikTok video where they were singing Putting on the Ritz. And he was dressed up. He had one of his friends who does makeup come and dress him up like Frankenstein. And then he would just like make the Frankenstein thing, you know, sounds. And it was so funny. And a lot of people were like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at this or not. And he was like, of course, this is exactly why I made it. You're supposed to laugh at this. And, you know, this friends wanted to do a fundraiser. So he was like, let's do Xanadu, the most ridiculous play ever made. And he went front row, laughed the whole time, went to every performance. And it gave all of his colleagues, his students, his friends, permission to laugh like this isn't the most ridiculous like i don't want to have a silent auction you know to buy the poor sick crippled child chris clark a a wheelchair ramp no it was like we're gonna laugh at this ridiculous play you know what i mean and and we're gonna raise some money for als research and so that was his attitude and then everybody followed and he did that same thing like with our our kids which i just feel like is and, and i like talking about this because i like giving people ideas of like whatever situation that you find yourself in and you're like, this is bad. Like I would say this is the worst disease. Like this is so cruel because you literally slowly get trapped in your own body. And mm-hmm. he was claustrophobic. I was like, this is like your nightmare. And he's like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? You know, like it's, it is my nightmare. But also like now I have a really cool adjustable bed. and Now I can just watch all the TV that I want to and not feel guilty or, you know, whatever it is. Like trying to find that silver lining 
it doesn't betray the love and trust. It doesn't. And it, what he gave us and the community was a gift in that we laughed and he showed other people, you know, how much he loved them and that and it was for them and it was for our kids. You know, he used to tease our kids because, you know, he'd have that like speech device like the Stephen Hawking that talks like this and it has this robot voice. And so my kids would take, you know, take him out. We'd be at Target or, you know, wherever. And he would, and they had these like predetermined common phrases. So mm-hmm. you didn't have to type out the whole thing. And they were so depressing. <laughs> and Christopher thought they were so funny. Like he's like, you, everyone just thinks you're going to be super <laughs> depressed if you need this. So it would say things like, help, I don't know this person. And, he, you know, he'd be with his son and he would just press it over and over again, just <laughs> laughing so hard. And, my son, who at the time was like 14, 15, was like, Dad, please don't do that. People are looking. Please, please stop. Or or we would be talking to friends and he would press the button and it would say, no one understands how this feels. And he would just start laughing <laughs> when he was first diagnosed, like literally like the first week. So he can still walk and talk and stuff. They give him. This is how outdated and old like the research and, and what's needed for ALS is. They gave him this little card that had, you know, those the pain scale that mm-hmm. has like the frowny face up to the smiley face. Like, where are you on this pain scale? Well, it had commonly used words and phrases for people who he because they're like, well, you're going to lose your voice. You're going to lose all of your motor function. And, you know, and they just like tell you matter of factly. Anyway, bedside manner could be improved, but <laughs> that'll be my next mission in life. And they gave him this card. And on the card, it was like, I would like a sandwich. Oh, gosh. Or I need a drink of water. Or I no longer want to live. Like it was, the- <laughs> oh like, and we. I still laugh about it because it was like, wow, that like escalated, like quickly. <laughs> and who wrote this card that thought that the I want a sandwich should be on the same th- little business card as I no longer want to live? And we were laughing so hard because he's like, well, what happens if I can't really like use my finger to point and I'm pointing that I want a sandwich but it looks like I'm pointing to that I no longer want to live and I was like I don't know I guess I guess we'll find out (laughs) anyway a lot of material I really do think that the more tragic the situation the more comedic gold there is so Mm. and with a little bit of time everything can be funny yes well and I think some things that I was thinking about as you're talking is you know you're making these memories, these memories with these kids, they'll remember those moments in Target when their dad's making the most of the time that he has with them. And I always think it's great to embarrass your children. Well, like, it's I'm... just the greatest joy of parenting. <laughs> I know. It's our like, gift oh. for all the sleepless nights yes. and diapers. Now I know why my parents did this stuff <laughs> when I was a teenager and growing up. And I'm like, this is fun. It's our job. Yeah. And so that's it's those memories that he created and took that opportunity to have like he didn't wait around he embraced it and that's beautiful and I think one of the other things is he took ownership just I I know you have like and seen what you're doing and how you're doing it and all those things you've taken ownership of your life and decided what you want from it and I think sometimes people confuse that with like a toxic positivity mindset sure and I hate toxic positivity yeah I will go on the record to say that because you know, I, I will share these stories. There's been so many times where I have not been a good example of that or where you just need to sit and feel your feelings 
But I like how you say it. Like, you make that choice, though, that intention. It doesn't mean that I'm not hurting, that I don't. I haven't had my dark times. I, I still have them. But yeah, making that choice over and over again, there's something to that. Yeah, like seeing that good, well, I get this cool bed now. I get like, <laughs> what do I get out of this situation? Because often we focus so much on what we're losing. Yeah. And that's real. And we do need to feel that and understand what we're losing and mourn that and work through those feelings, but also mm-hmm. embrace what we've also been given mm-hmm. in those moments. Chris is really good at that. It sounds You know, like he it. used to be a concert pianist. Like he had, mm-hmm. had practiced for that as a teenager, went a different route. So he used to play the piano all the time. And one day he was in his wheelchair and he wheeled up and he shut the piano and he goes, my piano playing days are over. And I was like, no, like we've lost so much. No play. You can still play. You should still play. And he goes, you know what? It's just getting frustrating because I can't play as well as I could. And he goes like, I really am okay with it because I can still direct. I can still teach. I can still write. I can like there's other like creative things that I can still do and I'm fine. And he was. It was very like matter of fact, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm fine. You know, and I was like, I excused myself went in the bathroom and cried, which is my thing. I'm really good at it. And because I wasn't there yet. Yeah. I was like, this is such an injustice. And and now I don't get music in my home and I don't, you know, I don't get what I want, um, you know, and all that. I had a little, you know, you you feel the feels of yeah. the it, it was awful. But his attitude was like, if I think about everything I've lost, if I start comparing my life to my friends' lives. I am miserable. I'm not going to do that. And I think that takes a lot of mental focus of saying, I just have to look at what I can still look forward to, what I can still do. Yeah. And even comparing it to the life we had had. Yeah, that's really a hard one for me. a day before Mm -hmm. or, you know, I always tell people, I need you to figure out what... The women that I coach and work with, yeah. I'm like, you need to find what brings you joy now. Like, yeah. I understand it's so hard, though. it is like we have all these things that have brought us joy in the past. And I think the past two years with everything we've gone through as a community and as a world at whole that we've had to really learn this lesson of what brought us joy maybe even six months ago isn't the same because of our circumstances and because of the but things we're going through. It was through. so great. And we can't pretend like it wasn't great. Yeah. And that's the that's what's tricky. Yep. I'm revealing too much. (laughs) (laughs) So for you, since your husband has passed and like, how have you taken ownership in your life as your Mm -hmm. husband did before? Like, are there ways that you've had to adjust and change? I mean, obviously, but like your mindset or Mm -hmm. like what has helped you? That's such a good question. And a huge question yeah. <laughs> because something that people would tell me or like I'm a researcher, like mm-hmm. so I'm going to read all the books about grief. You know, I'm going to read all the book. I'm going to do it right. I remember my sister came over and saw like this big stack of books that I had had by my bed. And she's like, what's this? What's going on? She's like, oh, you're going to figure out grief, are you? Are you going to be able to like, you know? crack the code. I mean, no one else in the history of the world can, but you're going to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm just trying to understand how to live now because people would say, especially when you have a good, healthy marriage and it's your best friend and you grew up together and all of your best memories are together and your greatest champion. And like when he died, I, I was so surprised that like, I felt like I died too. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways I did. And so I was so surprised in the morning and the grief process of all the things that I had 
to mourn. It was overwhelming. And to me, that was the catalyst for all the change. You know, like a lot of journaling, a lot of therapy, a lot of talking to friends and a lot of just feeling my like hard physical work that you have to do by yourself. Yep. And I don't enjoy it, but you can't (laughs) you can't push it down. Mm -mm. So things that helped me, I'm going to like totally honestly, I tried everything. I didn't trust my brain. I had the widow. I still kind of every once in a while, like have the widow's fog. Like I remember going to the mortuary and they were like, you know, and I'm like, I'm picking a casket for my husband. Like, what is it? People are going to the bank today and they're buying milk at the store. Like, what is what is this world? What is this life? Like my sister Gina was like, okay, hey, you know, because she didn't know how to help me navigate. But boy, she did a great job. And they were like, what's your phone number? And I was like, it is. It is. I could, you know what I mean? Like, that's how intense it was. And so when I say to people, like, just do these things and you'll get out of grief. And no, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that. But I'm saying that I was at such a desperate place, like zero hope. And like, oh, that was really great. And I'm not going to pretend like my life with him wasn't great. And anything else is sort of like a consolation. Mm -hmm. And plan B looks pretty crappy. But so because I didn't trust myself in my brain, I tried everything, everything Mm -hmm. that somebody offered me. I was like, I'll give it a try. You bet. Should I go on medication? Okay. Should I go to therapy? Yes. Should I exercise? Yes. Should I try to get enough sleep and drink water? Yes. Should I, you know, journal? Sure, I'll do it. Like, I'll keep a gratitude journal. You got it. Like, whatever felt like conventional wisdom says try this, then I would do it and just, and I just would hope and pray that I would feel differently later. And eventually I did. And then there's still the ups and downs and ups and downs. I keep like waking up like, are we done? Am I done with grieving now? Can I be done? And of course, anyone who's grieved knows, no, 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 you, you're never going to put this down. You just have to, you just have to learn how to carry it better. Yes. So sometimes it's right in front of your face and you're like, okay, I see you're right in front of my face. Can you, I'm just going to put you here on my shoulder for a second because I just got to get one thing done. I just got to do this thing. And honestly, just trying to act like Christopher acted and follow his example has also helped. Because I look at my kids and I think they don't deserve a sad mom who's going to give up on life. They've been through so much. They're the greatest. If, even if you want to go crawl in your hole and die, that's great. Okay, you feel that way? Like I talk to myself like a toddler, you know. Like let's just today, let's just, you know, look forward to one thing or do one little baby step. And so that's kind of how I slowly, have, I don't know, instill, I guess, like yeah. building a new life and deciding who I am. I mean, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> just reestablishing my whole identity. It's fine. It's no big deal. As my children leave home yeah. and no longer need me yeah. because they're all doing really well, which is great. It's fine. Everyone I love leaves me. It's the way it's supposed to be. <sighs> well, I'm glad we can laugh about it because <laughs> it's all true. It is true. It's true. It is so true. And it's interesting because I have not lost someone close to me. I have not been through that grieving process. I've lost grandparents, but like immediate family, that hasn't been my experience. But I have lost my spouse. Yeah. Um, and you've lost hopes and dreams that yes. were real. And so it's interesting that grieving can take so many different forms Mm -hmm. and can be so relatable across so many different fields. And there are things that you say that I'm like, oh, I felt that to my core going through my divorce of of losing my best friend 
your identity, who you were with him. Mm -hmm. And I am eight and a half years out from divorce, and I still feel like I am reclaiming my identity and evolving with my identity because now I'm remarried and a stepmom and like doing all of these different things. Huge things. Yeah. And it takes on different forms and we just keep evolving. And I feel like after we've gone through this, I'm not going to say the first, we've mourned other things in Mm -hmm. our lives, but like Mm -hmm. the big one. (laughs) Yeah. The one that changes everything. That changes changes everything. Every aspect of your life. You realize it's going to continue to change. Yeah. There's going to continue. Whether you want it to or not. Yes. And I think fighting against that stream, because I've seen a lot of people do that. I'm on all these like, you know, widow, widower groups Mm -hmm. and stuff. And everybody's dealing with their feeling. And obviously everyone's situation is so different. Everyone's background. But you can see the difference between those who hold on and say this event, this is my identity, this pain. And those who say this was the hardest thing. You know, this is awful. But who are trying to go with the flow for lack of a better, mm-hmm. you know, and and say, okay, but what's next? And and then what is within my power? Yes. To change. Yeah. I have a dear friend who lost her husband a few years ago, very suddenly. Mm-hmm. And there are things that like I have not talked to her about in that grieving process and where she's at and questions I don't feel I can ask, even though we are we are very close friends. And I always wonder hmm. Like, do I just ask those questions? And I think it's different for every person. Mm-hmm. Just like you're saying you had to figure out what works for you and you're continuing yeah. to figure that out. And there's no one right way. You could read all those books and hope that you're going to find the right way. <laughs> Listen, I'm still I'm still deep in the research. I'll let you know when I figure it out, when I crack the code. <laughs> Turns out the answer was all along, oh, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be, be rough. <laughs> and I, I, I kept thinking, well, maybe this next book will give me a better. No, nope, no, nope, that one says the same thing. Oh, <laughs> same thing said differently. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like often when people like us who are able to hold this joy while going through hard things and be able to laugh, I feel like sometimes I have to really explain how hard it was too. Like I want people to know. Yeah. Cause it goes back to that, that idea of like, I don't want people to think I'm okay. Because yeah. what does that mean? I don't want people to think that I'm fine now and that I still don't need like this tenderness and love mm-hmm. and attention to, and, and remembrance of Chris, you know? And I don't know where that fear comes from, but I, I think that there is a lot of judgment though around each other of like how people deal with things Mm -hmm. like in the widow widower world it's like the idea of like if you remarry do you remarry too fast and it is the time between when your spouse passes and when you remarry indicative of the depth depth of of love you know and like silly things like that that of course that's not what it means and that's not in and if you never remarry does that mean you love them more than people who remarry no of course not like i mean but things like that there's always those fears and things because we don't talk about it very openly because we don't shine a light on it and go yeah why do we think that yeah why what's this like or like in in cases of divorce and things like that it's somehow we think if we know the details then we can like judge if it was worth it or not like I just think it's none of our business. Like, it's hard. It's such a loss. Why would somebody choose this? Like, it's painful. And and so there's so much judgment that and fear that we have around these, like, big events of loss that that increase the pain and increase the grief and don't help to carry it in others. And the thing I liked about Chris uh, of just saying, 
yeah, I'm dying. You know, like there's no escaping it. But for him just to to use that as an opportunity, he started saying, I love you to everybody he saw. Because he's like, this might be the last time I see you. So I don't want you to, you know, question it. Yeah. And so it did change him and it did soften him. And he did wake up every day and think, well, who can I reach out to? Who can I help today? And I was just like, who are you? And sometimes I would just like cry. Like when I mean, here I am, I've got to lift him up. I got to put him, you know, shower him, brush his teeth and take care of him. And I it was so tender and it was such a privilege to be able to do like just, just to take care of him. And sometimes I would be overcome with like emotion and just cry. And he like, later would get in his chair and he'd be like, why were you crying? And I was like, oh, this husband I've had for a really long time. Oh, he's the best guy. And he's dying, turns out. And it's really sad. Like, hello, of course I'm crying. Like, why aren't you crying? He would just laugh and go, oh, that? Aren't you over that yet? (laughs) Oh, old news. Move on next, you know, as a way of just saying it's okay to be in the present. And and he would say to me all the time, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm Mm -hmm. still here. I'm still here. Just to kind of snap me back to say, like, don't miss me yet. And I think that's another part of it is, is that when we catch ourselves having fun and laughing and, and having joy, don't stop it. Yeah. Don't say you don't have to be loyal to grief. Grief is going to find a way to creep in when you least expect it. It's fine. Grief gets tons of attention. Grief is good at that. You don't have to worry about feeding that. It will demand it of you. So, you know, that's what I try to remember, too, is is like, no, just have a good day. And if you haven't cried today, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And if you need to cry for 10 minutes, just cry. Feel bad. Yeah, this sucks. It's the worst thing ever. It's absolutely the worst thing in the world. Say that out loud and then go, oh, yeah. And also, we're out of milk. Yeah. So go and do do what you need to do. Yeah. And it's okay. People are so worried about, like, comparing, like, I couldn't imagine what you're going through. And I know this is not the same, but when I lost my daughter, or I know it's not the same, but when I got divorced, I know it's not the same. And they qualify it for, and I appreciate that because I think it, you know, it shows respect or whatever. But let's like you said earlier, we have a lot more in common about it. And I've been surprised about how helpful it is for someone just to come and sit down and sit with me and cry with me mm-hmm. and just say, I don't know what your situation is, but it sounds awful and I'm so sorry. And I'm going through this really hard thing that I don't understand. And this is why it's hard for me. It just feels like such a generous act when they're willing to share that it does help alleviate grief. It really does. I think we get scared to share something hard we're going through because we're comparing it. Yes. And we're thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I don't want them to feel like I'm trying to negate their pain, their grief, their sorrow. But really, it's connecting. Well, and no one wins that game. And no. it goes back to toxic positivity. Like, I shouldn't be sad because yeah. my kids are healthy and I can walk. And some people can't walk, you know, and you're just like, yeah, but your husband's dying. Like, like here's the thing. Like, no one wins that game. Someone always has it worse. Mm-hmm. And someone always has it better. And yeah. who cares? Yeah. Because the worst thing that's happened to you is the worst thing. Yeah. One of the things I tell people, I get asked a lot, well, how do I support my friend who's going through a divorce? How do I support them in these things? And I always tell people, like like you were saying with that timeline, don't judge their timeline. Just be there with yeah. them. Help yeah. them feel seen and supported and support them in the decisions they're making in that timeline. It might seem crazy to you. A hundred percent. But you don't know because you, know. you aren't in it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the thing that I tell people. And I that's great. Does that advice. resonate yes. with? Yes. Okay. 
I love that because you just don't know and like get on your knees and thank God that you don't know. Yeah. Honestly, because, you know, there are things that I have said, that I have done, that I've had to do that I never in a million years thought I would have to say and do. And even in the middle of it, I'd be like, I can't believe that I'm saying this, but it's the right thing to do. And I don't want to make light of that because some of those moments almost killed me. Yeah. But I, they were the right things to do and say, and I had to do them alone. And just knowing that I had friends that were like, we trust you and yeah. we know you're doing the right thing. We have so much confidence in you when you're doing impossible things, mm-hmm. like helping your husband die and telling him it's, that it's okay and explaining things to your kids and of how to deal with it and what you think is going to happen. And just having friends that are like, you're doing it. Look, you're doing it. It's just that support without any judgment. Yeah. And just that trust, you need those friends. Find those Those friends. are the ones that are going to save your life. For sure. I mean, and, and, and I don't say that lightly. I mean no. it. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have those people in my life, I wouldn't have been able to do what I could do. What did they do? They were just there. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, an act. But, you know, yeah, when people say, well, how do I support a friend through a tragedy? I'm like, you just be there through all of it. And you listen yeah. to every messy detail. And that's it. Yeah. And you can cry with them and feel bad. And that's all you need, you know. And I've sat with my friend who lost her husband in the temple and just, that's yeah. what we do. And we you just sh- sit you there show and we cry. Up. You <laughs> show up. Like, I don't know what to do, but I can be here right now. And I feel like hopefully that's what helps. You know, six months after Chris passed, one of my dear, dear friends her husband passed of ALS. And it just seemed like, is this, I probably went through this Mm. to be able to help her. This is why we are friends, because who has this singularly rare disease? Like, it was too much of a coincidence. I don't really believe in coincidences. I believe in in a, a loving, divine, heavenly parents who are like, listen, and like, just do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying goodbye to her husband, who was my dear friend, and showing up to the funeral and walking through all that stuff. When, you know, my husband died during the height of the pandemic. We weren't able to have a funeral. We weren't able to do a lot of those things. Like, it was so hard, and yet it was such a privilege to be with her in that moment because we had each other and we were able to see each other. No one else knew what she was going through, and I hated that I did. (laughs) I hated it. Like, I thought it would be, like, bring me more joy and, like, satisfaction. It didn't. It was really rough. And we just look at each other now like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But, boy, those opportunities are sacred. I mean, and life changing. Yes. And when everyone else is going to the bank and buying, you know, bread at the store and you're just like, what's going on? This world doesn't make sense. Those moments may have like ground me of like, I get it. Okay, there's a plan. Something's going on. Got it. Okay. I am not floundering. There is a purpose. Yeah, for sure. Lisa, I loved this chat. And I Sorry, love. I, I swear I'm a lot more fun, but you know we're like. Oh no, there's lots of laughing, and that's the funny thing is. <laughs> I, I mean, I just am like, let me tell you about Dr. Christopher Clark, and I just want to cry. And, I miss him so much. Oh, I. But everyone I'm does. Sure, you do. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I have gotten to know a little bit of him, and I'm like, oh, what a great guy. The best. The yeah. best. 
Okay, so this is the last thing that I really want to say, though, because I always think of this when I'm in my deepest, darkest pit of despair, you know, is I think of something that Chris said before he passed, which was when I would tell him, please don't die because I think I will disappear Mm -hmm. and I think I will cry and never stop. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of dramatic. And he would look at me and think, no, you won't. No, you won't. You know, he would say to me, because you don't want the evidence of our love, our marriage together, all of the happiness that does not honor me or our life together if you choose that. Beautiful. And I was like, oh, so now I have to have a good attitude and I have to do everything and be happy. And he would laugh and he'd say, yeah, because that should be the evidence of what we built. Yeah. So that snaps me out of it. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. I mean, obviously, we're here together as podcasters. We tell our stories because we know that it can help somebody else. That is my biggest hope. Yep. If it helps one person. It's worth it. And sharing it is worth it because we've been there and we feel those things. And we know that just seeing somebody else who's been there can lift us up and help us reach for another day. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank Appreciate you for having it. me. Yeah. Where can people find you? You can find me on BYU Radio, The Lisa Show. We have um, a really, really great conversations and topics about things that you're thinking about, that you're worried about. And then coming in, we just want you to be part of the party, part of the conversation of, hey, that's what I really think. Uh, so The Lisa Show, you can download it uh, wherever you get podcasts. We really hope that you subscribe to it. And yeah, we have a, a new episode comes out every Tuesday. Awesome. You can also find her on Instagram. Go look her up. Yep, at Your Funny Valentine. Thank you. Thanks. As always, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If it left you thinking, man, I want to start processing these hard feelings and emotions that I'm going through. I need to gain some clarity in my life. I want to laugh more, even when going through hard things. Go pick up our Boldology journal. It is a simple, easy place to start. You can pick it up at theboldlogic.com forward slash bold journal. You can also click our show notes and you will be able to find the link there. It is a, like I said, a very simple way to start learning how to process your feelings and emotions in real time. It is basic, is going to give you habits that you can then use without having to sit down and journal. It creates these habits in your mind and brain about how you think about your everyday life. So awesome. I have created it for you. I am so happy for you to dive into it and to put that out into the world. The other great thing is you get to process your feelings and emotions and figure out what you need without asking anybody else to change and without changing the situation you are in unless you come to the decision that that is what you want to do. So you can go pick up the Boldology Journal. Also, I wanted to remind you that if you have any questions or comments or things that you would like to share with us, we will answer them the fourth week of this month live last month. I forgot to do it. I have the questions from last month. We'll be answering those questions and any more that you sent in at the end of this month. So please send them in. We will be recording those very soon. So get those sent over today. You can send those either to my email, jessica at theboldlogic.com, or you can go into Instagram and send us a voice message so that we can have your voice on the podcast. We would love to hear somebody else's voice on here other than Matt and I and Steve. I know occasionally you get a guest like you did today. But it's also awesome to hear your guys' voices here on the podcast as well. 
So don't forget to send us in a question or comment. And also, if you are looking for more clarity, joy, and you are trying to process those hard feelings that you have, go pick up the Boldology Journal. Have a great week. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Here at Husband-in-Law and the Bold Logic, we believe that there are six values that can really make your relationship amazing and take it to the next level. Those values are love, appreciation, acceptance, kindness, respect, and understanding. Today, I wanted to give you guys a challenge for appreciation. We want you guys to go and let somebody know that they're appreciated today. That can be as simple as sending a text, writing a letter, making a phone call. Maybe you pick up something special for them at the grocery store. Just something small to let them know that you're thinking about them and you appreciate what they're doing. We've encouraged you to do this before and we're going to extend this challenge again. Go do it today. A little appreciation goes a long way.